0: You may be seated. It is beautiful to see all of you here with us today. Uh, I often like to start just by saying a thank you to somebody in the congregation each week. And this is one of those weeks that's a tremendous blessing because there are really way, way too many people to say thank you to Just, just the people that are here today. Uh, I could just go around and spend five minutes or so saying thank you to all those that helped out with Vacation Bible School this past week. That is an immense amount of work. I do want to say a special thank you uh, to Becky Murray, who oversaw all of Vacation Bible School. She's the person that least likes to be thanked, uh, for those of you that know Becky well, but I do want to make sure to say thank you to her. Um, and again, just thank you to everybody that helped out in different ways with that. I also just wanna highlight, um, many of our youth also stepped up in a really robust way this past week. And we wouldn't be able to do this sort of program without uh, 14, 15 year old, uh, I don't wanna call them kids, 14, 15 year olds, whatever they prefer to be called, teenagers, uh, stepping up and helping out. So I do wanna say thank you to them as well. Uh, My name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield, and it is wonderful to have all of you here with us today. We are doing a sermon series this summer of different times in the New Testament that Jesus quotes the Old Testament. We're trying to dive into those quotes and get a deeper understanding of the truths that Jesus is relaying to us. The Bible tells one large story. Academics refer to it as a meta-narrative in two parts. There's the Old Testament, and there is the New Testament. Often, when people interact with the Bible, there is a lot of focus on the variation between the two parts. It is true, there are differences. In the Old Testament, they worshipped God in ways that no longer occur, in the New Testament, for example, the elements of discontinuity between the Old and the New Testament can obscure the fact that God is moving forward a larger story through us. Every time that Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he is highlighting the continuity between the story that has already taken place prior to his time on earth and the new portion of the larger story he is presently initiating. Jesus never rejects the Old Testament in any way. He embraces and fulfills it. He shows all that God has not changed. God still wants the same things from all people. There were many in Jesus' day that misunderstood the Old Testament. They think they know what God expects, but they are wrong. By correcting their expectations, Jesus is trying to set them on the right path with God. This is relevant for us today. Many today misunderstand the whole story of the Bible in similar ways to those in Jesus' day who misunderstood the Old Testament. Today's text will help us understand a key aspect of the Old Testament that Jesus prioritizes reiterating in the New Testament. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. That's page 763 in the Pew Bible. We will start reading in Matthew 9, verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Pharisees think that Jesus is rejecting what the Old Testament commands by his actions. In doing so, they believe he is rejecting a right relationship with God. Jesus is not the one that is mistaken. The Pharisees are wrong. They have misunderstood the story the Bible is telling. Jesus is explaining what is true with his words. If the Pharisees want to be right with God, if anyone wants to be right with God, for that matter, they must trust what Jesus makes clear. The truth that Jesus relays can be a bitter pill to swallow. It contains the cure all people need. Those expressing concerns to the disciples about Jesus' behavior, the Pharisees have a central concern that drives the way they live their lives. They want to be right with God. They have constructed their lives around the pursuit of righteousness. From a young age, the Pharisees would go and study under master teachers. They would learn what the Old Testament said. They would learn what all the great rabbis of the past had said about what the Old Testament said. Their pursuit of righteousness is not just intellectual. They did their best to live out what they thought God wanted. This was no easy task. There were an immense amount of rules. The Pharisees' desire for righteousness is a good thing. It is easy for us to forget this is the case. We think of the Pharisees as only being the bad guys. They were a key component of the conspiracy to murder Jesus, after all. While they were absolutely responsible for great evil, their actions were at least somewhat tied to their pursuit of something good. They wanted to be righteous. A different way to say this is that they wanted God to be pleased with them. From their perspective, Jesus' behavior towards Matthew and other sinners is a rejection of their understanding for how to achieve right standing before God. In verse 9, Jesus sees Matthew sitting at a table. He tells Matthew to follow him, which Matthew does. The problem with this is that Matthew is a villain. He is a traitor to his people. The Roman Empire basically farmed out its tax collection to locals. These locals were responsible to gather a specified amount of money from a certain geographic area. Anything they took in above what was required from the government was... These local tax collectors got very wealthy by acting as agents for the Roman invaders. They have the backing of the Roman police state for collecting taxes. This is what Matthew is doing when Jesus tells him to follow him. He is systematically robbing his own people on behalf of the Roman state, which is a hostile power to make himself rich. As much of a problem as Jesus hanging out with Matthew is for the Pharisees, Jesus hanging out with Matthew's friends is even more of a problem. Matthew has at least stopped doing the reprehensible thing he had been doing when he left his taxpayer booth to follow Jesus. Matthew's friends are still unrepentant. They are total heathens. Jesus is hanging out with these folks. He is, in some way, from the Pharisees' perspective, he is affirming their behavior. The Pharisees can't swear their own idea of righteousness before God with Jesus' actions. That's because Jesus is repudiating their whole approach. When Jesus overhears the Pharisees talking about how he eats with tax collectors and sinners, he corrects them. He says, Those Who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the right, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees are wrong about what God wants from them. Their desire to be in a right relationship with God is good. The way they're going about accomplishing their goal is wrong. Jesus' statement that God desires mercy and not sacrifice is a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel around the year 721 B.C. The book of Hosea kicks off with God telling the prophet to go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Hosea finds a woman named Gomer that he makes his wife. I can't imagine. This was a very romantic proposal, by the way. I guess Hosea just told Gomer that God had told him to look for a woman that fit her description. I'm sure he left out some of those details. Can't imagine she took this as a compliment. The reason God tells Hosea marry Gomer is that she will not be faithful to Hosea the same way Israel had been unfaithful to God. Throughout the book of Hosea, this is just what happens. Gomer is constantly leaving Hosea for other men. She has children that are not with Hosea. Hosea, at one point, actually has to purchase his wife back from another man. Jesus' quote that we read today is from the sixth chapter of Hosea. In this section, the prophet is exploring the character of God. The Israelites do not know God. Their love is fleeting. This plays out in a variety of ways. They Worship idols and trust in political alliances. They are arrogant, ignorant, and unfaithful. However, the Israelites of Hosea's time think that because they still keep up a basic level of religious observance, that means they are doing everything they should be doing. God is not pleased. Hundreds of years later, when Jesus quotes Hosea, he is saying that the Pharisees are making the same mistake their forefathers made. They practice a religion of dead observance. Their hearts are not as they should be the righteousness God wants to see from his people is merciful hearts. This was true in Hosea's day. Jesus is making the point that God's desire has not changed. Being filled with mercy is incredibly difficult. For one thing, mercy is not an action. It is a status of the heart that leads to action. My garbage collection normally comes on Monday. So often on Sunday nights is the night where we tell the kids to collect the garbage from throughout the house and they don't enjoy doing it. Nobody's ever like super pumped. They're like garbage night, you know? Like, Uh, But if I say, like, hey, go get the garbage from the bathroom, they'll do it, right? They may not enjoy doing it. They may huff a little bit. Their shoulders may slump, But they'll do it. And it's not a particularly hard task. I don't tell them that they have to enjoy collecting garbage. I just tell them they have to obey. On the other hand, when I tell my kids, They need to love each other. That is an infinitely higher expectation. What I'm asking for them is not just the completion of a task. I'm telling them I want want them to be a person that loves their brothers through and through. While loving another person is hard, being merciful, is even harder. We normally love others because we have some reason for positive feelings towards them. My kids love each other because they come from the same family. They share the same blood. Spouses' love for each other grows out of mutual attraction. The love between friends is based on shared interest and circumstances. Mercy is not a result of any sort of positive feelings that another person brings about in us. If a person deserves mercy, then it is not really mercy, is it? In fact, mercy is responding to others in a way they do not deserve. Mercy is showing another person love when they deserve nothing but disdain. It is giving people what they don't deserve. Mercy is not pouring out wrath on people that they do deserve. This is what we see in the story of Hosea and Gomer. There was no reason for Hosea to love Gomer. There was no reason for God to love Israel, but Hosea showed mercy towards God. In the same way, God showed mercy towards Israel. This brings us back to the verses we read from Matthew. It is bad enough for the Pharisees that Jesus has told them their own pursuit of righteousness through sacrifice is misdirected. The fact he's telling them to be merciful is especially galling to them. The people Jesus is showing mercy to, they are billions for the Pharisees. They are traitors. They have sold out their nation to line their own pockets. Tax collectors They don't deserve mercy. They deserve wrath. To be honest, I agree with the Pharisees. Showing mercy is completely unreasonable. These tax collectors are not good people. If that is the thought you are having right now, you're progressing towards understanding what Jesus is saying, even if you disagree with Him. From a limited human perspective, mercy without limits is insanity. God wants His people to be merciful to those who do not deserve it because it indicates we understand our own situation in relation to God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one that is righteous. The Pharisees look at the tax collectors and and judge them. They think they are better. They say to themselves, there but the grace of God go I. They don't mean the Pharisees think they are pleasing God with their pursuit of righteousness. The righteousness of the Pharisees is filthy rags. Behind their whitewashed exteriors, they are as dead inside as the tax collectors. Jesus sees through all of this. The tax collectors are actually better off than the Pharisees. This is not because they are better off. People. They are worse people in any objective criteria, but they recognize, they understand their need for God's mercy. As Jesus says in these verses, they realize their sickness. They know they need a physician. Each month, I go up to the Rockingham County Jail to lead a church service on Sunday evenings. I never, never want to make the effort to go up there on a Sunday evening, but I always enjoy it when I do. And the reason for that is that the men that come to the service, they know they need mercy being in jail has a tendency to do away with any pretense of self-righteousness they want to believe the gospel for them it is good news their need for a physician is obvious to them the reason god wants his people to be merciful more than make sacrifices is that a person showing mercy indicates They have experienced God's mercy themselves. This is the starting point for the gospel, the good news that Jesus is preaching. God in his infinite love and faithfulness wants to show mercy to all people. Nobody deserves this mercy. Everyone deserves the opposite. This is what the Pharisees completely miss. They think they are right in judging sin. Those that live their lives like Hosea's wife Gomer. They fail to see that they themselves are just as in need of redemption as Gomer was. If the Pharisees knew their own need for mercy or had experienced mercy themselves, they would be merciful to others. They would rejoice that Matthew walked away from his tax collecting booth. They would see that it is a good thing Jesus is willing to eat with sinners. If Jesus is eating with sinners, that means the Pharisees have hope, as they are also sinners. Any who can't see their own need of mercy from God can't be. In a relationship with God. The sins of Matthew and his friends are actually less of a barrier to a right relationship with God than the self righteousness of the Pharisees. The person who knows they are sick is searching for a cure, whereas the sick person that thinks they are healthy will not even search. I cannot preach. This sermon without asking a question of all of us sitting here today. Are we the Pharisees or the tax collectors in this story? Clearly, we all want to be in a right relationship with God. We want to be righteous. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't care. You'd be on the beach or playing golf somewhere. The Pharisees in this story are incredibly mistaken. They are opposing God by opposing Jesus Christ. They are sick and they don't even know it. The sinners, on the other hand, are being restored by Jesus. Or at least have that possibility. Their restoration is not a product of successfully being good. It comes from recognizing they are not good enough. And can't be, no matter how hard they try. A great gauge of which camp any of us fall into is how merciful we are. We all have reasons for not being merciful. The people we interact with every day disappoint. They fall short. They don't deserve mercy our responses to other people's shortcomings says a lot about us. Those with any handle on the amount of mercy God has shown them through Jesus Christ will be merciful to others. We will be merciful merciful even when we think it is undeserved. Mercy is inherently undeserved. We didn't deserve God's mercy, yet He gave it freely. If we fail to grasp this point, we are failing to acknowledge who we are apart from God. Jesus came to call sinners, not the righteous. All who know they are sinners saved by grace will be merciful. All who think they have achieved righteousness through their own efforts will lack mercy. If you lack mercy, you need to think about your personal sin that has separated you from God. If you recognize your need for mercy, you can turn to God knowing He is merciful. Jesus showed mercy to all by taking sin upon Himself on the cross. If you have already received God's mercy, you should move forward, showing that mercy to others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it would be a lot easier to complete the straightforward task of different behaviors, a lot more difficult to create in our own selves the the heart that we should have towards others. In fact, it is possible, impossible for us. We turn to you recognizing our brokenness, recognizing our need for mercy. I pray that we would realize that our hearts are broken. I pray that we would realize the depth of the sickness of our souls And that in turning to you to be healed, that we we would then look to others with, with the heart that you have shown towards us, with a heart filled with mercy. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.